for a podcast to really work, it requires hearing and listening. You did the listening. We want to do the hearing. You need to tell us what you're thinking, what you want, what you liked and didn't like, and you do it at info at I'mthereforyoubaby.com. On this episode of I'm There For You Baby. Here we go. You're going to like this story. Donna DeBerry. Blacks really received uh, business loans at about half the rate of their white counterparts. You'd like to mute me a lot, wouldn't you? You dig wells before you need the water. Do you say the experiences of black business owners is an example of systemic racism? That's my news, Stanky. You got that for free. That's it. That's it, my friend. I run four or five of them run by white guys, and their finances are all f***ed up also. This is not the time to allow your crisis to dilute your vision. You're muted, Barbara. The owner of Rap Atap Center for the Arts. And I was like, I want mine for myself and to do it the way I want to do it. This is, you know, Midwest, white, 1912. Uh, Immediately, I sat on my couch <laughs> and I said, I feel like it's Armageddon. Hey, Neil, you hear that? Well, I know you're never too old to dance. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more concerned about where are you going to get those Nolo Blahnik tap shoes? <laughs> there For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city. You can now shop cannabis with March and Ash on our new app. Get an eighth of flour for just $5 when placing your first in-app order today. Free delivery or curbside pickup on thousands of your favorite flour, edibles, carts, and more. March and Ash. Shop cannabis. Welcome to another episode of I'm There For You, Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm here with Barbara Bree, my wife and co-host and partner, and uh, welcome to you all. As is normally the, insta, the beginning of this, I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. Now, here we go. You're going to like this story. Hang on. By the way, the most important person to listen to this is a guy named John Stanky. Who's John Stanky? John Stanky is the CEO of AT&T. In our little house, <laughs> for some reason, we have 250,000 megs going up, 640,000 megs going down, five televisions, two internet studios, and we sort of run a mini empire. And three days ago, the electricity goes off, like bang. So there's a four block area and it's black. Well, we do this, we do that. And a few hours later, in fairness to SDG&E, it comes back. Well, the lights come on, but all that equipment doesn't come on. That's kind of complicated. So finally, we get a little bit of internet and we finally get AT&T on the phone and they say, you know, they work you over and then they work you over because they don't want to have somebody come out. Because All right, now here's the situation. Marketing is a profession. If you go to Google, there are 1.1 billion books on marketing. I'm going to help you. So sure enough, around 2.30, a nice guy named Aaron shows up and he starts to assess the situation. Well, it's not such an easy situation. I got a closet. I got uh, modems. I got two different networks because Barbara runs her empire. Finally, this is the part of the story. Ready? Finally, he's a solid guy. I got nothing but compliments for him. He puts a new modem in, a new router, a new DVR, a new something. And he finally gets the whole thing working. And about towards the end, he says, there's a salesman coming. There's a what? He gets a thing on his phone, says, there's a salesman who wants to come and give you a new package. And now you got to understand at the same time this is occurring, 
I have a conference call at four o'clock. My wife is busy. She's walked in, got a shot. There's another person in the room and my assistant is there. So there's five people horsing around and he wants a salesman to come and visit me. I basically, I wouldn't say blow my stack, but I indicate in a, in a firm and comprehensive way that that's not gonna work at this time. And sure enough, unbeknownst to me, there's a woman at the front gate and she realizes that if she comes in, it's probably gonna be a near-death experience. Now, here's the part of the story that really matters. Salesman's coming to give you a new package, to discuss a new package. Package is code for selling me something. Here's the message, Stanky. If you had said to me, a young lady is coming, he, she's in charge of customer experience. She wants to make sure this was a good experience for you. Would you be willing to speak with her? The answer is you bet. So when you call this person a salesman and you use the word package, what you're really trying to do is get me to switch from Verizon to AT&T, work me over, unbundle me, rebundle me. But if you had said, I know it's been a stressful afternoon. I know it took us two and a half hours to fix your modems and your routers. And we have a young lady who would like to come and talk to you about your customer experience. I'd have gone down like a stone. That's my news, Stanky. You got that for free. All right, Barbara, what do we got? Um, so Neil, you know, we're, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and the COVID pandemic has disproportionately hurt small businesses. Uh, one day you're open, the next day the government tells you to close, then you can open with limited capacity. There have been federal, state, and local government programs, different kinds of assistance, but many small businesses have fallen through the cracks for a variety of reasons. And even before the second wave of shutdowns, Black-owned businesses were hit particularly hard and were less likely to receive government assistance. In July, research at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and a report by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that 41% of Black-owned businesses, that's about 440,000 entrepreneurs, have been shuttered by COVID-19, compared to just 17% of White-owned businesses. And before the pandemic, Neil, Black-owned businesses were growing faster than White-owned businesses even, and they accomplished this even though they started with three times less overall capital. Uh, we'll learn more about how Black-owned businesses are coping from our next guest, Donna DeBerry, President and CEO of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Donna. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited and thank you so much for having me on the show, Barb. I, I love dearly. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Donna. So please give us a short history of the Central Black Chamber, why it was started and what types of businesses are members. Yes. So, you know, the San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce was started in 1992 by Dr. John Warren and his late wife, Jerry Warren. And as African-American efforts begin to heighten here in the county um, in, in, in the means of being more economically stable, in 2010, the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce pivoted their mission. Uh, and the mission became uh, to create this generational wealth through business enterprise, education, employment, and investing, and, and efforts to support Black people we wanted to make sure that we had opportunities and networks uh, to create the business and pursue careers that can further promote successful futures. 
And we have all type of businesses, restaurants, childcare, construction, barber and beauty shops, so many different industry types. So when did you become the CEO? What did you do before you joined? So I became the CEO in November of 2019. And my background has always been in diversity, equity, and inclusion, actually for 20 years. And, you know, I've been working and contributing as an executive vice president of Wyndham Hotels, VP of diversity for Nike. I led global diversity at Indeed, Starbucks. Uh, And I've worked with many organizations such as the NFL, the NBA, Oprah, all in diversity and inclusion, as well as produced award-winning documentaries. I'm a storyteller. um, Yeah, the uh, inequities and inclusions around gender and culture. It's been my passion. That's great. Well, you got here like six months before the world changed uh, forever. And but what were the challenges your members faced before the pandemic? You know, before the pandemic, black businesses were already dealing with, I would say, long historical barriers and uh, persistent uh, underinvestments, even when the economy was booming. And according to our research before COVID, uh, only 1% of black business owners obtained loans in their founding years compared to 7% of white business owners. So engaging with financial institutions were difficult uh, and sometimes even impossible. Uh, And the other data is that blacks really received uh, business loans at about half the rate of their white counterparts. So when they did receive loans, um, it was always at a higher, I wouldn't say always, but most of the time uh, at a higher interest rate. Hold, hold, yeah. take, take, take a hang on with me for me. I got a question. Sure. sure. So I, I have interacted with, so one of the things that I'm going to suggest is that while the statistic is adverse, meaning one to seven, maybe your organization could begin to train black business owners on how to talk to a financial institution, because it's not the same as normal interactions. Those, they, they have like secret words and, and, and metrics, and you need to find a way to say, to, to, to interact with them on their terms, and I think that could increase funding. You know, Neil, you brought up a great point. Um, one of the things that we are doing is, you know, we have this Urban Resource Business Center that really helps with business development. And one of the things is that, like, how do you build relationships with your banker? And you, you hit, the, hit it right on the head, is that many of our Black businesses don't have relationships with their bankers. Um, and relationships with your bankers, don't, you know, it's not when COVID hits or a crisis hits. It's like, how are you developing that relationship from the time that you open your account? Right. The point being, here's the big one for your, for your customers. Sure. You dig, you dig wells before you need the water. That's it. That's it, my friend. That's it. That's it. I love that. I'll use that statement. I'm positive. It's yours. Go ahead, Bibi. So, Donna, would you say the experiences of Black business owners in trying to get started and trying to raise capital is an example of systemic racism? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is, um, we, it's a conversation that we're all, the country is having right now. And people are asking that question, like, what is systemic racism? And, and what does it look like in some of these underserved communities? And, it, you know, systemic racism, people don't always know what, what that means. It's, you know, it's the 
It's the complexity of this interaction of culture and policy and institutions that hold a place of structural racism. And we also use terminologies like uh, uh, in institutional racism. Mm -hmm. And when these structures and these systems and procedures and processes uh, create this disadvantage for people of color, that's where you see, uh, you know, these barriers that, that, that happen. Mm -hmm. And yep. so what are you doing as an organization to help your members and to address the systemic racism? Um, you know, we're doing a lot. Uh, right now, one of the things that we're doing is, uh, first of all, COVID hit. So, you know, we're talking about how are we making sure that uh, we keep our businesses whole. But when you talk about systemic racism in the county, it's not just what the, the, um, the chamber's doing. We should be asking what are our elected officials doing? What is the community doing? This is not just a black problem. This is a, this is a economic problem for, and you think about um, uh, San Diego County and we're built on small businesses. This is uh, everybody's problem right now. And so one of the things that we need to do here in our county is when we look at how systemic racism is showing up, which is, redlining still exists, poor health care, um, disadvantaged businesses having the lack of uh, financial support. It's critically important that we all come together um, to include the chamber. The chamber will lead it and identify those problems, um, look at opportunities of how to eradicate some of the barriers that are happening for our, our members and our black community, but it is a county problem. And we, we need to go across party lines, forget what communities that you represent and serve. It is about if we as a county, if we are going to um, come, uh, reopen and mm -hmm. rebuild as a county, it is about all businesses having an equitable lens for all businesses to recover. So in San Diego, uh you know, the city of San Diego, and I was on the city council at the time, established a small business assistance fund. The county established one. I think you established one. Uh, could you tell us if your members had success accessing federal programs like the Paycheck Protection Program or and what kind of assistance you were able to provide them? Yes, no, thank you. Um, I can only say that at the beginning uh, when... Uh, the city received, I think it was $6 million in COVID relief dollars. They really did a good job in distributing the money to small businesses. Unfortunately, they did not have an outreach uh, plan for disadvantaged businesses who absolutely needed the most because they were the disproportionately um, the businesses and the communities, the black and brown communities specifically, and even the Asian community were specifically the ones who were get, getting hit the hardest uh, with COVID and then, and then a shutdown. Uh, and so, so black businesses were disproportionately left out of federal money. Uh, many of the business owners and nonprofits were shut out of the loan process with the state, the city and the county because of uh, some of the questions that were, um, as we talked about systemic racist type of questions and questions that were um, immediately disqualified uh, black and brown owned businesses immediately. And so what I did like, uh, um, Barbara, I give you a lot of credit when you were on that city council uh, for pushing 
uh, and really for standing up, uh, I, for sure, you and Monica Montgomery for standing up and, and, and um, pushing through a, a uh, program for, uh, to help the, uh, the minority-owned businesses uh, to, 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 with this COVID fund. And so once the city, you know, there were two pieces to this. One is that we as a chamber said, we don't care. We have to raise a million dollars. We challenged ourselves to raise a million dollars in 60 days. And we did it in 58 days. And wow. we did it because the first part of that fund, the first uh, $500,000 was because the one thing that we um, demonstrated as a community, as a county, is we all came together, whether it was private, public, um, donors, corporations, other businesses. It was B2B. It was businesses supporting businesses. And we kept, so, they kept yep. I'm going to give you a, a, a thought as we come to the end of the session. So as you know, earlier, I gave advice to John Stanky at AT&T. And so now I'm going to give a little more advice. I'm in favor of financial literacy. Mm. So let's agree, got a lot of black businesses. So what you need to do is you wander down the street and call the CEO of Intuit. Yes. And you, and you indicate to them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put, pick a number, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 of your simple, simple TurboTax uh, 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 programs. Not the tax part, but the, the most simple kind of Income, expense, cost of goods, quick, net quick, profit. QuickBooks, QuickBooks. Dear. QuickBooks. Yeah, what do I know? I got an account. Charges me. <laughs> I can't count to seven. QuickBooks. So you got to go reach to a strategic partner and you go to Intuit and that gets them customers, discount. And then when you walk into the bank, the guy says, oh, gee, that looks like a real financial statement. Cash flow, income, balance sheet. I learned that. I, I'm okay. I didn't get an MBA. That's my advice. And I, I know you didn't ask for it. I was, I was delighted to offer no, Neil, that was, that's, that's fantastic advice. And we certainly will be looking into that. Um, we need, the, more, the more advice that we can get, the more people that can share opportunities and access. So what you've done is you've, you've created an opportunity for, you've given us access to information. And that's been a struggle is not, uh, many of our black businesses don't have access to information. Yeah, so um, actually um, I'm happy to help facilitate uh, an introduction to an executive at Intuit. You know, they have a big presence in San Diego. A TurboTax part of Intuit is based here. Um, so do you still have financial assistance available for companies? We do. We just started uh, an additional Black Business Relief Fund, um, and we are uh, we started at $150,000. We are asking business leaders and donors to give. You know, Black History Month is in February, and I can't think of any other a better time for um, businesses and people to donate and to give during Black History Month because every dollar counts. And what are the qualifications to apply, and how does the program work? Um, the, the qualifications is online. If you look at SD Black, if you go to sdblackchamber.org, all of the qualifications are there. Um, and uh, it's very simple. It's a very simple qualification. Uh, we definitely need to know that you're number one, that you're a legitimate business. Um, you have a certain income level. Uh, we need uh, uh, information on um, like taxes or, and if you don't have yeah. that, some type, something that shows that you're in business and what your revenues are. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, Donna, when I think about the black community, I think about the churches, which have been an anchor of the community uh, for, for a long, long time. Did they qualify for federal assistance as a church or local assistance as because they I don't know if religious organizations were able to get financial help? Yeah, they di they didn't qualify. Um, nonprofits didn't qualify at all. And the churches have been hit the hardest. I mean, think about congregations or, you know, especially black churches, where if you think the highest unemployment rate were, are blacks and, um, and then the health crisis, the disproportionate uh, COVID rates were black and brown. And so they were hit the hardest. And what we've done um, is in February, we will be launching a fund just for black churches. So we will be launching a grant fund that black churches can apply to help them. They are financially hurting also. Right, because of course they're not doing, many of them aren't doing services in person and people used to come in person and donate every week and that source of money isn't coming. So as you think about, uh, you know, here we are in January, 2021, you know, the world is opening up a little more. What is your advice to black business owners on how to stay alive? No, first of all, and we're, we're, we're talking about this to Black business owners. We're having all type of webinars for Black owners right now. And the first thing I would tell Black owners is that you need to pivot. This is a, the, the best time to pivot your business model. What worked before may not be working now. How are you creating your online presence? What are you doing to make sure that you have an e-commerce site? Um, all of those things that were, you know, for some businesses, uh, for many businesses, uh, uh, because of tech, technology challenges or things like that. So we're educating our, our Black businesses on online presence. Um, and we're talking to them about financial literacy. Get your, get your books in order so that you can qualify for loans. You can qualify for grants. Um, and so we're teaching and educating and, and bringing resources in to help them understand their financial um, impact. And, and this was a prime example of a COVID hitting. And many of them, I would say not a lot, uh, but some of them rather, uh, did not have their, uh, their finances in order. Just, just as simple as that. Their taxes mm -hmm. and other things. You know, that's not uncommon to black businesses. I run four or five of them run by white guys. And their finances are all fucked up also. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just happens. Who, who knew it was going to be a pandemic, right? But this right. is your time. Here's your time. Um, and then how are you marketing? How are you marketing during this time? This is not the time to allow your crisis to dilute your vision. Is there any last uh, piece of advice or something you'd like our listeners to know? Equity is, is going to be a key word as how black businesses are going to reopen. And I would like to tell the listeners, um, and I'd like to ask the listeners to go to our website, sdblackchamber.org and donate. Donate to help our, our entire economy because if, if black and brown and um, minority owned and women owned and veteran and dis disabled and LBGTQAI businesses, if we all can flourish, it means that the whole county flourishes because we're built on the economic engine of small businesses. There you go. There you go. Do uh, Donna, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we admire what you're doing and uh, we wish you and your members uh, much success over the next year 
as we uh, recover from this terrible pandemic, which has been a health, is health issue and a business issue, an emotional issue. It's impacted all of us in so many ways. We're grateful that you joined us today. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Neil and Barbara. My name is Donna DeBerry, and I am president and CEO of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce. And you're listening to I Am There For You Baby, the entrepreneur guy to the galaxy. So Donna DeBerry is really a strong presence and, and a great advocate for minority owned and black owned businesses. I'm going to repeat, though, because I've run, I don't know, eight or nine different companies into the ground, and I'm on the board of another eight or nine, and I've invested in another eight or nine. And I'll tell you that the issue of financing is not just being black, and it's not just revenue. It is a financial statement. It is understanding cost of goods, and is there a margin, and what does it actually cost, and having the passion for the business. It's whether it's a food, food truck or it's a nail salon or your, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to vote for more rigor on financial literacy and, and, and uh, presentation. And I experience it in these companies. I got venture back companies with millions of dollars. And when they come in, their financials are, they don't know what it really costs to run the business. So this is not a color issue. This is an education issue. Yeah, well, that's, what think, I'm, that's what I'm going to push for. Yeah, I think the financial literacy piece is really important. Uh, and all businesses have to deal with that. And Black-owned businesses have suffered from systemic racism, not being a part of the old boys club, not having the secret handshake. And it has the combination has made it more difficult for them to raise capital. And despite that, you know, from the early data that I mentioned, Black-owned businesses were growing faster uh, than white-owned businesses in the United States. Uh, we got well, fierce, fierce passion. That fierce passion. Well, as you've always said, Neil, our relentless pursuit will take you further than good grades. Uh, listeners, uh, don't go away. Coming up on our next segment, we'll talk with uh, Summer Williams, the owner of Rap a Tap Center for the Arts, a dance studio in San Diego. Summer is a member of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce, and she'll talk with us about how she reinvented her business because of COVID. Thank you for listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. The mantra for America today is transparency, and we're going to practice that as well, which means if you have a point of view, an idea for a, uh, uh, somebody to join us, if you don't like what you're hearing, if you want to tell us your opinion, we are delighted. Send it to us at info at I'mThereForYouBaby.com. The COVID pandemic has hit America hard, but it has devastated underserved and economically challenged communities of color. Nationwide, black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African-Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Armand King, co-founder of Paving Great Futures, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part, get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. 
get the facts on COVID-19 on how you can best protect yourself, your family, and your beloved community. This message is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation with funding from the County of San Diego in support of the Live Well San Diego vision for healthy, safe, and thriving communities. You're listening to I'm There For You Baby by IVN. Welcome back, listeners, to the next segment of I'm There For You, Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm here with Barbara Bree, my wife, co-host and partner, Miss Bree. Uh, Neil, it's great to be with you today as we talk with more entrepreneurs who are challenging the status quo. So, you know, there must be dozens of dance studios in San Diego, and in California, they were shut down during the first part of the pandemic then allowed to open outside and then also inside with reduced capacity. So how do you cope and keep your business alive with constantly changing rules and restrictions at a time many families are struggling to pay the rent and buy food and don't have extra income to pay for dance lessons? Our next guest is Summer Williams, the owner of Rap A Tap Center for the Arts, and she will share her entrepreneurial journey. Welcome, Summer. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So tell us, what did you do before you started your dance studio? Well, before I started my dance studio, I I did teach a lot of dance at other people's studios, um, as well as I did some teaching and I was going to school and touring and and performing in different places. What's What's your education background? Um, I have my bachelor's degree in dance, so that is what I pursued in college. I got a minor in business, so dance and business had to go together somehow. Uh, And then I have a master's in education as well as a teaching credential. Wow. Well, a great background to do what you're doing. So what motivated you to start your own studio? Uh, Why did you start Rap-A-Tap? And where does the name come from? Well, I... I've always loved dancing. It's always been a passion of mine. And since I was young, I knew I wanted to do something that included dance, whatever it was. Um, And then as I was going to school and really figuring out how I was going to incorporate dance into my life, I kind of went down that avenue of wanting to own my own performing arts center or a company or something in in that aspect. Um, So it's always been there in the back of my head. And then I was working for so many other people and helping run their programs. And I was like, I want mine for myself and to do it the way I want to do it. Uh, And so that's kind of what sparked the interest. Summer, there is no reason to make other people rich when you can make yourself that way. Exactly. (laughs) Now, here's a classic for all entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter what they're paying you at the company you work. You're worth more than that. Because remember, they have to make margin. So if they're paying you $5, they're selling your time at 10. So you can just figure it out. Might as well be you selling your time at 10. There you go. Right. Well, Neil, I know you're very interested in why Summer didn't name her uh, business Rap-A-Tap-Tap. So why is it just one tap? (laughs) Great question. So the inspiration for the name of the studio came from the book, Rap a tap tap, and that's where it came from. I am a huge tap dancing fan. That that's my thing, 
And Bilbo Jangles Robinson is definitely a mentor of mine in that way. I look up to him in his career. That book is about Bilbo Jangles Robinson. It's a kid's book called Rap-A-Tap-Tap. And when I did my first year of teaching, that was a gift I got from all of my students and they signed that book. And so when I was sitting on the couch trying to think of a name, I saw that book on the bookshelf and I knew right then, Rap-A-Tap, that's the name of the studio. And what's your value proposition? Why did you think San Diego needed another dance studio? San Diego needs more tap, authentic tap dancing. And that is that was my initial um, reason for wanting to pursue it. There, There's just not a lot of that here, or it wasn't in the way that I thought it could be or that I could contribute to it. And I found that so many people were coming to me saying, I dance at all these other places, but they don't have tap. And they definitely don't have it like how you teach it. And so they were coming to me for that one class a week. And I said, well, why can't I expand this if this is what people enjoy? So that that's where it really came from. Yeah, so let's go back to March. You're teaching school during the day. You're running your dance studio at night in a room in the school. Then COVID hits, the school closes, and your studio is also closed. What did you do next? Well, immediately I sat on my couch <laughs> and I said, I feel like it's Armageddon. <laughs> um, but I, I took a minute um, to just compose myself. I, I didn't want to just rationally tell my students, you know, oh, we're closed or we're doing this. I did take like two weeks to just figure out, okay, what is our next plan? And then I decided I was going to teach classes on Zoom and I was going to teach them for free. I didn't feel comfortable asking people to pay in that time, like in March when everything hit. And I said, donate what you can. And I'm still going to teach because we need it. We need it more than ever right now. And that's what I did for three months. I just taught for free. And I said, give me what you can. And if you can't pay me anything, oh, well, you can still show up for class. Those are clients, customers for life. Right. And it kept them with you because otherwise they might have looked for something else and wouldn't yeah. have come back to you. What happens next? So at that point, me and my husband were like, okay, we need a plan. <laughs> like we can't do this forever in this way. Um, so we kind of tossed and turned between, do we let it go? Do, do we just dissolve our business at this point? Or are we gonna fight for the continuation? Um, so we decided we were gonna go for it. We put out a GoFundMe. I mean, literally, that's how we started and asked for donations. And we got a flood of support from students and family and, and people who just know our story and support us. We um, had to find a new space. And that was the scariest thing. We, we didn't have a location anymore. We literally lost our building space. So we, I stumbled upon a space. And the funny story is, y'all, I found it on Craigslist. I'm not kidding. I found our building while I was surfing Craigslist. And I thought it was like, you know, like not real, like some kind of scam. It was legit. And within two days, I, I viewed the space. They made a great deal with me. And we said, all right, we're going to take all the little pennies we have left. And we're going to go all in. And we moved into a new space at the beginning of July in the middle of COVID. Wow. <laughs> that is like rethinking your business, pivoting 
uh, and but at the same time, uh, taking a leap forward. Now that, um, that's more than, that's more than just rethinking. That is monster courage. Yeah. That is a really passionate belief in your skills and the product you're offering. I, I, I'm dazzled. I will point out, Summer, that when I was younger, shortly after the Civil War, I went to a dance class. Now they didn't have rap or tap because this is you know Midwest white 1912. But you got to learn how to dance. And that's one of the ways I lured Miss Bree into marrying me. I've actually become a somewhat, this is immodest, good dancer. And dancing is important. Right. Dancing is, well, actually, yeah. I have a good friend. First of all, we're going to take a short break. But before uh, we do, I'm going to just share a story. I have, I have a good friend. And she said there are three things that you should have in a husband. Uh, one, they should be able to dance. Uh, two, they should have a good sense of humor. And three, she was very tall. She said they should be tall. So I got to, <laughs> so, that, was her, that was her criteria for a good husband. Sweetie, you substituted height for cooking. That's right. In my ah. case, I needed a cook. Well, listeners, please stay with us. Uh, we're going to hear more from uh, Summer uh, after a short break. You're listening to I'm There For You Baby by IBN. You can now shop cannabis with March and Ash on our new app. Get an eighth of flour for just $5 when placing your first in-app order today. Free delivery or curbside pickup on thousands of your favorite flour, edibles, carts, and more. March and Ash, shop cannabis. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at ivc.media. Listeners, you're an important part of this podcast. Please let us know your suggestions at info at I'm there for you This is I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. Welcome back to I'm There For You Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm here with my co-host, Neil Centuria, also known as my husband, and our guest, Summer Williams, the owner of Rap-A-Tap Center for the Arts, a dance studio in San Diego. We've been talking with Summer about how she took the courageous leap to rent a new build, a building for her dance studio in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, uh, Summer, please tell us what type of financial assistance were you able to get uh, from different kinds of programs during the pandemic? So during this pandemic, we, we've been really fortunate to have some great um, local support. We initially, um, I applied for all of the government funding and didn't get anything. Yeah, the, the PPP, the, even the EIDL, like nothing. Um, so we were pretty much on our own in the beginning and our GoFundMe. Um, and then we were so fortunate, I did apply for a grant through the San Diego uh, Black Chamber of Commerce and they gave us a grant and that was like our initial like okay we, we might be able to float a little bit longer um which was so helpful and then a couple months later we did get a grant from the county of san diego and how much did you get in total we got about eight thousand dollars in total between the grants and the 
GoFundMe fundraisers from people. And this allowed you to open this new facility and to stay in business. And of course you employ people, you employ dance instructors. Yes, absolutely. So that, that was the, the biggest thing was being able to bring on our staff because we held out as long as we could paying them um, what we could. And then at, at some point in the summer, we just we had to say, like, I'm sorry, all but, you know, you, if you want to seek other employment, we totally understand. We, we just can't pay you. So as soon as we were up and running, that was probably the best thing to be able to say I could start payroll again. Um, and those teachers were so happy to come back because they wanted to teach. Some of them even taught for free. I mean, some of them said, I know you're struggling. I'll teach a class for free each week because uh, they love the students. It wasn't about the money. We love what we do, first and foremost. Um, so to be able to pay them for their time was great. Yeah, so I'm not going to tell you how old Neil and I are, Summer, but are we too old to take your classes? Could we take a, a tap? <laughs> you are not too old. You are never too old to dance, Barbara, never. So I think our oldest student is like 73 right now, mm -hmm. um, and she rocks it out in tap class. So there's no excuse. You are never too old to dance. Okay, well, thank you. Neil, you hear that? Well, I know you're never too old to dance. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about where are you going to get those Nolo Blahnik tap shoes? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Tapping is, uh, I, I'm going to be serious for a minute. Watching the great performers like Bojangles and all the others who have done it, it is dazzling. Mm -hmm. So what you do is really unique. It's not just, you know, Box, box step that I learned in the waltz. Yeah. And um, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm not skilled enough to do it, but but I do thrill at seeing it. Yeah. So before COVID hit summer, what would you say were the biggest challenges you faced in terms of your business? I would say uh, our biggest challenges, definitely as a entrepreneur and a sole proprietor, was the time it was the time to manage my business to grow my business i was so deep in the trenches and the daily operations that i couldn't even see past past that part of it um and then time that i was sacrificing in all the other areas of my life i have a young son a husband um they got put on the back burner a lot <laughs> and it just felt like i was giving all my time and i wasn't getting all everything out of it that I, I needed. It was never enough time. And, and what advice would you give to someone who wants to start their, a business of their own? Ooh, advice I would give to someone starting a business. I would first start with, you need to be passionate about what you are doing in your business. And I say that because if you do not love what you do, then you are not going to follow through through all of the challenges of starting a business. It is not all roses. There's a lot of thorn. And my mom always says, if you would do it for the money, it's a job. If you would do it, even if you didn't get paid a dime, it's a passion. And if you're not passionate about your business, about your service, about what you're contributing to your customers and your community, then you are not gonna last. Be passionate first. And then that passion will give you all the strength you need to follow through on everything else. 
That's great. Great advice from your mom. I think moms have good, good advice. So who, do you, who have you turned to for advice when you have needed help in thinking about your business? Well, my mom, <laughs> definitely my mom and my faith and my husband. Uh, they, they are the pillars of what we do. Um, but I have some really great friends in the industry, other studio owners, other teachers. You cannot be afraid to call on those people who know what you're already doing. And they have been great mentors to me. I can pick up the phone at any time and text or call like five different other studio owners who can give me advice and wisdom or just an ear to listen so, to. So Summer, let's let's do a little bit of money. I, I've changed my mind. I'm gonna take some classes. Okay. What does it cost? What do I need to buy? Besides, I guess, tap shoes. Um, how does it work? Do I, do I buy a week, a class, a, a year? Uh, Those are great questions. So most I, of our- I, when, I, when I break my leg, I, I have health care for that. As I <laughs> yes, you sign a waiver, a release, so don't right, call I, on me. I, Summer, I'm yes. all in. What, what does it cost me to tap a tap a tap a? Okay, so most students do monthly classes. That's how most students run at our studio. An hour a week is $53 a month. So you get four classes for $53, which is a great deal. It's like yeah. $13 a class. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's awesome, right? Um, so that's how most people do it. We do do like a registration fee of $25. It's good for a whole year. You can come in and take class. Some students like to do drop-ins. If your schedule's a little wonky, you can't always commit to the same time every week. You could do a drop-in class, it's $15. You drop in, you take class for the night, and you could do it that way as well. Right, so wow. Summer, Summer, right now, are you teaching inside and outside and on Zoom? How, what kind oh, of- Oh, yes. <laughs> and in the sky and on the floor, no. <laughs> Um, yes, we have indoor classes, and of course, you know, we're limited capacity, seven-foot squares, tons of protocols in place. We have outdoor classes in our parking lot space that we've turned into a dance studio. Uh, we, I bought all the wood at Home Depot and got portable tap floors, not all the wood. <laughs> um, and then we're also hybrid. We have students on Zoom taking class. We have Zoom-only classes. So the whole class is on Zoom. We have hybrids, some in person, some on Zoom. Very creative. So Very you creative. name it, we've learned how to do it. Great. Yeah. Summer, you have a great story. You really demonstrate resiliency, flexibility, and enthusiasm. You're a great role model for small business owners everywhere. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and sharing our story. Yeah, I, I would end with one thing though, Barbara. You need to point out that Unlike either of us, uh, Miss Summer, she got rhythm. <laughs> I do. I got rhythm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is Summer Williams with Rapitap Center for the Arts, and you're listening to I'm There for You, Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. Neil, today we had two great enthusiastic and entrepreneurial guests, Donna DeBerry, uh, President and CEO of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce, and Summer Williams, 
owner of Rapa Tap Center for the Arts, a dance studio and a Black Chamber member and a small business that was helped by the Chamber's uh, Small Business Assistance Fund. Uh, wonderful to hear their inspiring stories of how they forged ahead uh, despite a pandemic. That's a wrap, listeners. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure you tune in next week to the next edition of I'm There For You, Baby, The Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you for listening to I'm There For You, Baby, presented by IVN. There For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city. Listeners, we need your input. Please email us at info at I'mThereForYouBaby.com. You can now shop cannabis with March and Ash on our new app. Get an eighth of flour for just $5 when placing your first in-app order today. Free delivery or curbside pickup on thousands of your favorite flour, edibles, carts, and more. March and Ash. Shop cannabis.